Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League preview show for game week 29 of the 17-18 season. I'm Tom Rennie and coming up on the show today... A Premier League classic is revived as Liverpool take on Newcastle. The battle at the bottom is just as convoluted as ever. But will this be the weekend we bid another goodbye to Alan Pardew? With West Brom showing almost no fight with him in charge. And Chelsea are the latest team to try and slow City March for the inevitable double. That's all coming up on the Premier League preview show. We start on Saturday the 3rd of March with Burnley against Everton. That's the 12.30 UK time kickoff. Across the 3 o'clock, we've got Tottenham against Huddersfield. That's our international feature match. Also Leicester against Bournemouth, Southampton, Stoke. Swansea against West Ham and Watford take on West Brom. The late game is that Premier League classic, Liverpool against Newcastle. On Sunday, two games for you as Brighton take on Arsenal and Man City are up against Chelsea. And there's Monday night football this week as well. Weather permitting, of course, that's Crystal Palace against Manchester United. Let's talk to a man who's always with me for these shows, who's braved the weather in Wales this week. I don't know whether he was near the topless Swansea fan. We'll find out right now. It's Talk Sports football editor David Walker. You're right, mate. Yeah, very good. It was a topless Shepherd Wednesday fan, actually. Oh, was it? I thought it was yeah. a Swansea fan. No, he was in the away end for the whole game, standing there in all his glory. What a man. Yeah. I mean, what was it? It was really cold. It, it, it looked on there TV. There wasn't any snow. Cold. There was no snow. Uh, that that hit, I think, today as we record this, sort of a day or two after we we were there in Swansea. Um, but it was it was minus two. But in terms of how it actually felt, wind chill with the wind chill and everything, it, it was really cold. I I had a pair of gloves on, which is supposed to be able to allow you to use your smartphone and your, your tablets without taking them off. Do you have like Romford Market finger However, gloves? It's still no, they've got like little Do you take the sensitive little pads, off? pads, but it didn't work. So I had to keep taking my gloves off to use my phone to communicate with the producers, and literally thirty seconds, and um, I felt like my hands were going to fall off. It was so cold. The, the the biggest reaction in that stadium all night were not the two Swansea goals. It was the, the sheer joy and jubilation of all the stewards, all the staff and the journalists working in that ground on the final whistle when we realised <laughs> there would be no extra time when, when Nathan Dyer scored that second goal. <laughs> and did you capitalise on the free tea and coffee offers? I mean, you're media, so you were getting free stuff anyway, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. We've um, got curry before the game. Oh, lovely stuff. Uh, and we'll talk Swansea a little bit later. Uh, actually, I may as well ask you now on this. They've got West Ham this weekend. I'll we'll talk yeah. to Danny Gavin on this later. Were you more or less convinced of their survival hopes having seen them in the flesh this week? Well, first half was hard to judge because they, they played a slightly weakened lineup, and neither team was really that bothered. It took, took them both a while to get into the game. Second half, they brought on Jordan Ayew. I think it was clear that Carvajal just said, get out there, let's just get this done, let's just win this game. And they were much better. They looked much better. They played, you know, they they, they played with a, with a lot more verve and vigor about them. Uh, they've been good at home, so yeah. I think you know this weekend I'd, I'd be going. I'd say they, you know, they'd they'd be confident ahead of a, the visit of West Ham because they've got a good record at home. They like to get the ball down and play. They've got a lot of pace in the side. You know, maybe the other the other are you brother could come back to haunt. His, uh, his old club, and it'll be the interesting. The safest bet of the weekend, though I know which one I'd rather have, and it's not the one we did have. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Big story of the week has been VAR once again. Uh, for those that didn't see the Rochdale 
game at Tottenham or at Wembley Stadium in midweek. Loads of controversy from that. We've got uh, Lamella's goal being disallowed early on because of a pull by Lorente. We've got a foul that began outside the area, given as a penalty for a continuing foul in the area. Uh, the referee, Paul Tinney, then uh, awarded uh, a free kick to Rochdale after a penalty from Hung Min Son, which was disallowed because of an illegal feint in the build-up. And that's just some of the decisions that happened in the game. What amazed me, Dave, is that I've been calling for this for a long, long time. And people were getting in touch with me. And I'm saying, look, the most important thing is all the decisions were correct. And for me, that is the most important thing. And people were saying, oh, no, it's ruined it. I was reading some tweets from Tom Kearney, the Fulham midfielder, saying it ruins the game. I would rather lose. I would rather have a situation where we get the wrong decision, the wrong result, but it happens quicker than the right result. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills on this. Well, did you hear what Danny Rose said Tell after me. the game? It's very similar to what Potts said, but it's in more more extreme version, really. He, I mean, he was pretty much saying what Tom Kearney said. He's saying it was a shambles. It can't take this long. We're out there for two, three minutes at a time when they're trying to make these decisions. It's minus four out there. The players are getting cold. But what no, else did they add on? knows what's going on. Like, after, after Lamella scores that goal, and, and they check every goal during a VAR game to make sure there's no infringement, in this case there was... And you can argue about whether you think it was enough an infringement to be a penalty or not. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Lorente no. has pulled him Look. back. That's the way it goes. What else would they have been doing in that window? Like, the goal has gone in. There was already a natural break, and it took about 90 seconds to confirm what had happened either way. Yeah, I, I, I see your point. And um, me personally, I'd be quite happy just to let things carry on as they were. I wasn't that, you know, we've, we've all had moments as fans where we scream injustice at a, a decision, but we've all had moments where we get a brilliant last-minute winner when it's handball or something. And I think that's all part of the fun and the drama. But Carry was, on. Th- th- we had drama. Yeah, yeah, I know. We didn't I know, take I know. the drama away. But, but, but we had new drama. If, if, we, if we accept that this is happening, which it is, then we need to get it better than what it is at the moment. In other countries, there's been problems, but I think they've, they've probably ironed those out a bit quicker than we have here. And uh, my experience, my, I've experienced, experienced it for the first time in person on Tuesday at that game in Swansea. There weren't really any incidents that we needed to go to, but what surprised me was both times Swansea scored, the referee, instead of pointing to the centre circle and making it clear that the goal had been given, mm. he had his hand, his fingers on his ear, the players were celebrating... The commentator was was commentating as if a goal had been scored, but I was sitting there going, "Hang on, is it, he's got his, he's he's talking to someone here? Is he going to give it? What's he is he asking? What's when that happened? You know, and it, it was made there me a graphic like, at that point? No there a VAR graphic, so we no. just need to take it as read that they're always going to be checked. Well, they that, they won't put yeah. something up. And that I think I think everything needs to be communicated better because I was confused, and I'm sure a lot of fans would would be slightly momentarily confused, and it just sort of disrupts the flow of the moment. You want to know that. If you score a goal, it's a goal unless a linesman puts his flag up or the referee mm. clearly indicates that there is a, some sort of reason to, to, to look at it. So would you say they shouldn't be checking every goal? I don't think they should. Not, a standard, not a standard. When it's when the referee can see that, that, that there's a, the perfectly acceptable goal has been scored, mm. why need, you know, there's no need to check anything. But then Lamella's goal would have stood because Paul Tierney gave it as a goal all fine. But there's clearly a foul. There is a foul in the build-up. So it, it would have been 1-0 to Spurs when it shouldn't have been. But whichever way you do it, I just think it needs to be communicated within the stadium mm. better mm. so that the fans in the stadium are very clear on what's going on and the players and that there's no you know, indecision or confusion. Are you surprised the people implementing this? I certainly am. That they haven't sort of nailed that aspect of it already because there's loads of things you can get wrong and right in this. However, yeah. displaying something which says... VAR and that's it. Why can't it be VAR and then underneath it there's like a, there's a colon after VAR and it says potential foul in the build-up or checking decision. Yep. You've only got to make about 10 PowerPoint cards and put them up. It's not an issue of technology, is it? Because this isn't, this isn't advanced technology. No. This is simply just, it's an issue of We've communication. We've had graphics on screen since Windows 95. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a communication process. It's people getting their heads together, working out how this works. And look, this is part of it. This is the part of the test. Yeah, we're for, doing it now. You know, we're working through these things. And, you know, we hope by the World Cup that it will be a lot better. But they haven't reacted to this aspect of mm. it, which I find quite odd because they did react to, if you remember Liverpool-West Brom, there was only three minutes added on and everyone was like, at half time, and they were all like, 
well, hold on, we had a load of VAR decisions. So what's happened? And obviously, Craig Pawson didn't add on the VAR time as well as the usual time. Yeah. That seemed obvious watching it. But in the Tottenham-Rochdale game, there was five minutes of normal and another couple on top. So it was about seven-odd minutes of additional time at half-time. They did it. They improved it. And I think that's a good thing. But then this, this whole communicating it with the crowd, I don't know why they haven't got their heads around that because we knew that was a thing. And also, why are we, the TV audience, I wasn't at the game at the Tottenham Rochdale when I was watching it on telly, why are we not hearing Paul Tierney and Graham Scott having a discussion? Yeah. I can't think of one good reason why not. Do you remember, I can't, what was the game? It was a few weeks ago. And the TV cameras picked up the conversation. It was Bournemouth. No, it was uh, it was it was John Moss trying to go to Martin Atkinson. Uh, that was the guys talking yeah. about it, and it was at Bournemouth, I think. I can't remember the game off the top of my head, but it was you know, and it, it, all of a sudden it gave you a little glimpse into what it would be like if you heard the conversation, and it was a mu- it was much easier for us to understand what would have otherwise been a bit of a confusing situation because we heard what the referee said. It was Tottenham's first penalty against Liverpool. That's I think right. That's what we're yeah, about. yeah, yeah. That's right, and. He couldn't see. The referee gave the penalty, and then the linesman pulled him over and said, "Hang on, are you sure that the ball didn't touch um, a Liverpool player or a yeah. Spurs player?" And the referee said, "No, I'm not sure. I've given the penalty. I've got to give it. You know, I, I didn't see it. I can't comment on that. I've seen what I've seen, and I from what from that, I'm giving the penalty. And obviously, if there's VAR, that would be different. We'd look at it, but it just shows you what seeing, what hearing that conversation." does and it just makes you understand it makes you have a little bit of sympathy and empathy with the referees and with the officials it's a really difficult job even looking at things on tv screens is a difficult job because some of the things are subjective and you know you can get bogged down in what should be var and what shouldn't be it, it's at the moment it's a mess they mm. need to get better hopefully they will get better but do you have faith that they're going to nail it in time for when it gets rolled out widespread I have very little faith in any of these people implementing it however I will say again that in the Tottenham-Rochdale game, the decisions were right. And even if we get to a situation where it is like it is now, I would rather goals that should stand, stand, and goals that should be ruled out, get ruled out. Um, But we should be hearing them. It should be communicated better. But let's not go mad. Let's not call it a shambles and ridiculous and pull our air out and moan about it and say it shouldn't be done. I'm hearing Stuart Pearce saying he'd rather things as they were. You mentioned Danny Rose. We heard from Tom Kearney. Everyone saying, oh, no, no, we can't have it. Well, let's wait till it's the World Cup final. And let's wait till England are in it and we don't get the decision we should be getting, though it's obvious. Another Frank Lampard moment. You know, a penalty that should stand. All this stuff about the other week, the one matter being offside against Huddersfield. He was offside. He was offside and it shouldn't stand. And that's what happened. That's the rules. Oh, well, it's a shame, in it? I'd rather the game just flowed. It wasn't a legal goal. It drives me mad. We want right decisions. If Bobby Madley had had VAR in the West Ham Bournemouth game a few weeks ago when Callum Wilson is offside and he handballs it, then those morons wouldn't have given a goal that should never have stood. West Ham had got 32 points. Bournemouth are two points back. And they're both basically safe from relegation. And it's, it's as important as that. It's as important as that. Multi-million pound things being decided on. I'm not really sure, John. Do you know? No, I'm not really sure. Um, penalty? Madness. We will talk more about VAR, <laughs> obviously, as the weeks and months progress. Uh, and we'll get some clarification as to whether it's going to be usefully in the World Cup in the next few days as well. We're going to return to the Premier League when we come back. Lots to get through uh, West Bromwich Albion. Is it going to be there? Final weekend with Alan Pardew in charge. And we'll also talk about top of the table as well. City, Chelsea this weekend. Michael Jubery is about to join us on the Premier League preview show. <laughs> You're listening to the Premier League preview show for the 29th week of the season. Now, two massive games coming up this Sunday. Man City against Chelsea is the four o'clock UK time game uh, this coming Sunday. And, you know, when we first put this in the calendar, we thought it would potentially be a title decider. You wonder where this leaves Chelsea right now when it comes to the league table, because right now they are outside the top four. That's going into the weekend. Um, so they need to get something from this game. They can't afford to let City just slip by them. Also on Sunday, it's Brighton against Arsenal, and we will get to the Gunners shortly. But let's focus on City against Chelsea first. We are joined by a Chelsea legend to talk about this game. Michael Jubry's on the line. How are you, mate? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, preparing, staying in the warm. No snow. No snow. You're hiding from the snow. You've got shelves covered in tins of baked beans. You're ready. 
I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Well, we're hoping that you survive the weekend. I'm hoping I survive the weekend. And also hoping there's games this weekend as well. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Listen, let's talk about this Chelsea team. Uh, because it has been a fascinating story this season. What a soap opera Chelsea have been to watch. And this is a massive, massive game for Chelsea, isn't it? Because you can't just afford, as a Chelsea side right now, out the top four to just write off the game against Man City. Yeah, it's a massive game. All games are massive, it's an understatement. But now, with current form, um, there's so much pressure on this. Um, we need it. We're going against possibly the best team in Europe. Um, and we're not in a good run of form, or inconsistent form is the best way to put put us, very inconsistent. You know, what Chelsea team turns up is is the question. In the big games this season, and if we look at the last couple of games as well, the Barca game and the Man United game, Chelsea, of all teams, have been found out because of defensive frailties, defensive lapses. I mean, how has that happened? Is it all just about John Terry not being there anymore? No, I think there's been a... a JT's a massive... Um, part of the decline. You know, he's a voice, he's a presence, but there's been things happening over the last few years, a decline. You know, you take away JT, Ashley Cole, um, you know, all massive, massive parts of a defensive jigsaw that made Chelsea so formidable. So there's lots of things. They're finding themselves, uh, you know, they're finding themselves. Remember last season, the defence looked good, clean sheets, clean sheets. And now it's just again the, the word inconsistent has come in, and and now it seems like a different a different team totally. What changes would you make from that Man United game? Because Alvaro Morata came back in and got a start, and he just looks so so yeah. far off the pace. I mean, you buy Olivier Giroud, you don't play him in the Barcelona game, which is basically what he was bought for, and then you don't play him in the Man United game, despite Morata's lack of form and fitness. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I would have I would have started with Giroud and, and used him as a batman ram. Water the two centre miles down for Man United and in the second half and later on in the game put Morata on where he's not fully fit. You know his movement a little bit more mobile than than Giroud might have opened up something. You know far post header. You know but at the moment the ball went up to him. It didn't stick. You know he, he fell over every other time. Um, it just it, it just wasn't working for him. He, he looks like a player. Um, not in very good form and not with much confidence. Do you think Olivier Giroud regrets the move to Chelsea? Because he could have started the weekend just gone. You know, Arsenal were terrible in the cup final. We will get to that. But if they'd have started with Olivier Giroud, arguably they've had a presence up front that Aubameyang did not offer. And he's gone to get games to get in the France squad. He's getting no games. Yeah, to be fair, I think he moved because it was you know, he's, he's even further down the pecking order. You know, Lacazette's there and he doesn't always start and play. So, you know, I, I think he, he went away. He had to play more games. And whatever the conversation between him and uh, the manager is at Chelsea, then, you know, he obviously wants more games. But it's, I think it's a surprise for everyone that he's gone there to play and he hasn't started the last few games which everyone expects him to start. Last season, Antonio Conte recorded a double over Pep Guardiola. He's the first manager in top flight history, in Guardiola's top flight history, being in Spain and in Germany too, to do that. This year, Guardiola could become only the second man to do it over Antonio Conte. Uh, Delio Rossi with Sampdoria managed it back in 12-13. So it doesn't happen very often. How much can we blame Antonio Conte for what has happened for Chelsea this season? Because from runaway leaders, they've gone to also Rans and maybe missing out again on Champions League football. Is it his fault? Uh, it's very harsh. You know, he knows that you know, you're the face of the team. So when they do well, you take the plaudits. When you do bad, you know, it's your fault. But let's give the guy some credit. Like what he done last year, I know it's a new season and where they are now. It's a team, it's a team thing. Manager, players, they all have to be accountable. His decisions, you know, we just spoke about his decision to leave Giroud out. It didn't work out for him. If he, uh, Murat would have started, scored in the first second, with, but hit the post. You know, what a great decision mm. it is. So, I think he lives and dies by his decision. Is it always fault? Not at all. I like the man. I like his, his body language. I like his persona. I like how he is. I think he deserves a little bit more credit. But it's the Premier League. Only one team can win it. It's the most fierce league in the world. Um, and, you know, it, that's how it is. And you've got teams that are not, like, you know, Spurs, Liverpool, all full of momentum and, and good form. Man United are just steady. So, that top four is just difficult. It's, it's a league in itself. So can we blame him now? Not when you've got a team that's, you know, 
not informed. Remember, like, they're fifth and, you know, had this stop-start of a season. Everyone's mm. making out like they're fighting for relegation. So, you know, <laughs> bar, the, bar, you know, the, the, the Palace game and the Burnley game when they lost, no, the, the Watford game uh, and the Burnley game, those defeats, they'll still be sitting second with uh, this indifferent form that everyone's talking about and the manager that, that should be sacked. So it's not all bad. It's just that top four that's so precious. They're outside it now. This week, the head of the Italian Football Federation, Alessandro Costacurta, former teammate and friend of Antonio Conte, said he is the number one target to be the new manager of Italy going into qualification for the European Championships. How tempting do you think that is for Conte? He's a, he's a passionate Italian. Uh, being in charge of his national team, I'm sure, would be something that whets his appetite. But like most things, I think, you know, I don't think he'd want his, his tenure at Chelsea like it is now. He's a winner, so I think you want to finish on a high and put things right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's all tempting and you know, I'm sure the Italian FA want to try and lure him out of the hot seat at Chelsea, <laughs> but in Chelsea want to want to keep him. I'm assuming if things um, are going well, unless they've got someone else lined up, and I'm not putting my name in the hat right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that's, it's football, isn't it? From one extremely fashionable and charismatic manager <laughs> to another, Conte to Jubri, I can see it. It's a lovely lineage yeah. there, Chelsea legend yeah. to Chelsea legend. And if you need an assistant manager, I've always wanted to do it. It looks like the funnest job. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Your West Ham connections, you might just be trying to, you know, poison the pasta before games. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't think I'll be hiring you. Poison the pasta? That happened to Spurs, didn't it? That wasn't me. Uh, Got to ask you <laughs> about uh, Man City. Uh, having played Arsenal two times in a row, played on Thursday, played the Carabao Cup final as well. The big question for them is how they cope in big games. Uh, and this is one of those for Man City, irrespective of the title being basically sewn up. But they've got Basel coming up in the second leg and another round of the Champions League. Fernandinho is injured. Is he going to take Guardiola the next few games to see who else can play in that role? Delph suspended. Yaya Torre, just legs have gone and, and can't do that role anymore. So what does he do in that role? Is he going to experiment? I think he, I think he can experiment. I think he will. I think they've got enough of a, a squad and players that are comfortable in the ball to play there. I know what Fernandinho offers, you know, a bit of steel, but I think the way they keep possession, the way that everyone knows their role, you know, it's taken him last season to get everyone inside the club to know what they're expected of them. And I think everyone knows everyone's role. That's why they work so well. So I think I think there's players there that can adapt and adjust uh, to that position. I don't think it'd be a struggle for them. And they're in that comfortable position where they can afford to experiment. They've got a, a, a nice lead, a healthy lead, um, and they, I think they can afford to. Mm. Uh, what do you think then, Man City, Chelsea? Um, I'm going to go for a draw. Draw? I like it. I like it. You couldn't. You couldn't bring yourself to say that City were going to win it. I, you always got a fancy City, but uh, you know Chelsea are able to, to. They're a great side with great players. If they start Giroud, I think they've got a chance. If they play high balls to Giroud, they can get at Man City. Um, you know, something that not enough teams have done. I've said that a few times. And everyone keeps calling me stupid, and yet it seems to work. Uh, briefly, the other game on Sunday is Brighton against Arsenal. What a tough place it is to go, Brighton, by the way. At home, uh, they aren't just winning games. They're winning them comfortably in Glen Murray. They've got someone who's got double figures in the Premier League. You need that wherever you are in the division. Arsenal, weak at the back. All the, the crises that go on around Arsene Wenger continuing. What would it mean for Brighton to win against Arsenal this weekend, move to 34 points? That would be just 11 points behind Arsenal and would maybe be five or six points away from Premier League safety. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it's massive. I'm, and I'm sure uh, a club like Brighton, it you know, resemble with at Reading, they have their games. This is like a, um, a luxury game. I mean, not expected to win. There's no pressure on the team, but they're full of confidence. So it helped them. All the pressure's on Arsenal. You know, they've got great home form. So getting thank here, you know, their, their form would be like, you know, beating the ones around them, like the West Broms, you know, like Watford, ones in that sort of position. Mm. But that this game here, full of form, they're going into it, high on confidence. You know, the frailties at Arsenal at the back, you know, they know they can get at them. They know they're not a formidable defence. They know they're not the Arsenal that everyone expects. By name, yes, big in stature, but players on the pitch, no. And they reckon, you know, they look at them on the pitch in that tunnel, and I think they go there and think, you know what? We can get these. They're not that great. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I think there's a lot of confidence, and I'd like to see him win, if I'm honest. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's good for the game. It's good for football. I'd like to see Brighton um, stay in the Premier League.
Yeah, great city, great sporting town. Love Chris Hewton as well. Let's hope they do do it. I think they will do it. I think they've got a great chance against Arsenal on Sunday as well. I've got to ask you this, uh, and I hate asking this question. Everyone's asking it. We've got to, We've been doing it for about 20 years. I genuinely had a side part in when we started asking this sort of question. Maybe you did as well. It's been such yeah, a long time uh, since uh, we, were, we were asking this. But Arsene Wenger, one more year on his contract. Review to come at the end of season. Uh, Nagelsmann of Hoffenheim has been mentioned as a replacement, the 30-year-old coach mm. that's, that's setting things alight uh, in Germany. We, we've heard Brendan Rodgers, the Celtic manager this week. Um, it, I mean, Arsenal losing a final in the way they did. You know, you can lose a final to Man City. The way they've done it was embarrassing. Very unlikely they're going to finish in the, the top four this season, and you wouldn't make them any more than four favourites for the Europa League. Is this the year, and should it be? Um, <clears throat> should it be, as a Chelsea fan, I hope it continues for a very long time. Um, as an Arsene Wenger fan, I like him. I don't like seeing him get all the stick. I don't think he deserves it. But you know what? Sometimes when you're that great at what you do, it becomes, you know, it's the gift and the curse. And I think he's so, he understands his ways and I think it's stopped him from maybe evolving and changing. So I'd like to see him go out on his own terms and a high and say, you know what? I've taken this club as far. Give the baton to someone else with, fresher ideas, do you know what I mean? Um, but it's down to the club that's asking what direction they want to go. At the moment, they're losing ground to not only the, the, the top four, but other teams are catching them up, which is, I think, the, the biggest threat to them, that everyone else is catching them up, as well as them losing ground to you know their peers. So whatever direction they choose to take, it has to um, be soon. You know, football evolves very soon, very quickly. And it is, you know, everyone else is moving, spending, getting players in, they have a directional identity. At the moment, the identity that Arsenal once had has gone. And what is their identity? You couldn't identify it before. It's a great spine, strong, flair, solid at the back. Now, it's frailties at the back, mm. you know, hot and cold, inconsistent. So they haven't got an identity anymore. And if they want to stay with everyone else and be a threat in Europe as well as, you know, be a threat in the Premier League, they have to quickly find their identity uh, and change up. And do just one final quick question. Thanks for all the time you've given us on the show already. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Stoke, uh, another one of your former teams, of course. They find themselves second bottom. They find themselves on 26 points. That's just one adrift, so that they're very much in it. But they've got Southampton away this weekend. Um, is this going to be Stoke's year to go down? They've not won since being Huddersfield on the 20th of Jan. Four games uh, without a victory, there are three draws in that time. Have they got enough? Has Paul Lambert got enough there uh, to, to get them enough points? And I'd probably say you need 40 from this point. Yeah, it, it's sad because I've always, you know, since they've been in the Premier League, they're just a, a Premier League mainstay. Mm. But now it's like, you know, I wouldn't want to see him back in the Championship. You know, it, it, it's difficult. And at the moment, the players don't seem to have that fight and grit to to get the points to, to stay in. So it's, it's it's worrying times, you know. You think the change of manager might have been the, the spark to get them going, but it hasn't really happened like that. Um, so it's fearful times, if I'm honest. Right, just like for Stoke, I want you to batten down the hatches this weekend. Make sure you don't get struck by any kind of snowstorm, avalanche, anything like that. Look after yourself, mate. Thanks a lot. We'll speak I to you soon. I will do. Cheers, Tom. Enjoy those tins of cold beans. When we come back, we're going to continue <laughs> to focus on the bottom of the Premier League. It's the preview show for the 29th week of the season. You're listening to the Premier League preview show for the 29th week of the season. Tom Rennie with you today. Oh, what a weekend it is down the bottom of the Premier League. Uh, it's always more interesting than the top has been for the last few years, and it's so, so close down there. If we go from Everton, who are ninth in the table on 34 points, Swansea are in the bottom three on 27, just seven points separating all those sides. We're talking about teams not being cut adrift, and anyone could go. There is one team you'd feel pretty confident ain't going to be in the top flight next year. And that's West Bromwich Albion. They find themselves bottom on 20 points. Seven adrift. Haven't won a game for such a long time. Four straight defeats now. Uh, Alan Pardew in charge for the game against Watford at 3 o'clock UK time on Saturday. Away from home at Watford as well. Not an easy place to go. The big question is why? Why is Alan Pardew still in charge? And I suppose how as well. Let's talk to a man who played for West Bromwich Albion and played under Alan Pardew at West Ham. Danny Gabbardon is on the line. How are you? 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Mate, you're right. I'm very well, Tom. Yourself? I'm all right, mate. You know, been affected by the snow, but I braved through it because I'm double hard. You know, that's been pretty good. Has it, has it got to you? Have you got seven or eight coats on while you do this? <laughs> I'm tucked up, tucked up at home. Um, I can't complain. To be fair, so yeah, not not been great, but um, yeah, I've not been uh, affected too much. I'm, I'm sat in the house and still able to. Uh, yeah, talk football over, over over the phone or whatever it is. I envisage so, uh, you doing this interview in a palatial <laughs> bed with cocoa in hand and some kind of... Do you have some novelty slippers? You're not far off. You're not far off, to be fair, Tom. You're not far off. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to imagine that you've got big hot dog slippers on, and I think the world should as well. That's the facts of it, right? <laughs> I'm more thick socks. I'm more of a thick socks man than the slippers. <laughs> I like those big, comfy, thick socks. So, uh, Someone get that man yeah. some novelty footwear, ASAP. <laughs> if only we could get a delivery driver to you, mate. Uh, right, let, let's talk about things that should be delivered. Maybe Alan Pardew's P45. Um, West Bromwich Albion have been dreadful since he's taken over. They were poor beforehand, but he's offered nothing. Lost to Huddersfield last week and were outplayed for much of that game. Um, why has it gone so wrong for Alan Pardew? Because you played under him, and we've all known him in this country for a long time as the kind of guy that manages people well, uh, and he's able to get performances out of them. So why hasn't it worked out? It's a difficult one. Um, I have to say, when I saw him go in there, when I saw him get the job, um, having worked under him, I thought he would get them going. I thought he'd get those West Brom players going, motivated, um, playing a, a better style of football, which the, the West Brom and Albion fans have been craving for, um, hence Tony Pulis leaving the club. But for whatever reason... Um, he hasn't had no effect whatsoever. Um, you, you look, they're still conceding goals. Um, they're not scoring enough goals. Um, I think it's one win in, in the 14 games he's been there as manager. He's had a couple of good performances in, in the Cup. You know, they now have seven points adrift um, from safety. Um, and now they go to Watford this weekend with, with the worst away record in, in the Premier League. So you just have to feel that you know, if he's not going to get a result on the weekend, then um, he's going to be in big, big trouble. And I- I'm just really surprised because, you know, having known how he, how he manages, um, you know, he was a decent man manager under my time when I, when I worked with him at West Ham. Um, he was a front foot kind of manager. He used to like to get his teams uh, playing on the front foot and attacking. And we haven't really seen that since he's gone in- into West Ham. Even the tactical side of their game, I wouldn't say they They've changed this style of football too much. Um, you know, still playing like a rigid four-four-two. Um, hasn't really got them defensively solid and keeping clean sheets, and uh, and the problem of, of sticking the ball in the back of the net as well. So, you know, when you've got that that combination all together, 
um, you really are struggling to stay in the Premier League. So this is a must-win game, simple as that, must-win game this weekend for them. You've been with Alan Pardew during those runs he has had and always has during his career when things go wrong for him. I think West Ham had lost maybe seven in a row when he got sacked and you were at the club at that point. It happened to him at Newcastle as well, long runs of defeats. It happened to him at Palace, long runs of defeats. Charlton, long runs of defeats. When you're in that spiral with him, now of course of all those clubs, he had a good run before the bad run, here he hasn't. When you're in that spiral, what is he like? What is his coaching like? What does he revert to? Um, it's a difficult one. Um, I think when any manager's in that downward spiral, you're, you're trying all kinds of different things. You know, you're, you're evaluating everything, um, seeing what you can do better, what you've done wrong, and um, you know, he's the kind of manager that would, would try something out of the ordinary a little bit to uh, to, to kind of get a result. Um, it's, it's it's just a difficult one to to explain. Why you know it seems to have happened to him all through his kind of managerial career. He's been a very streaky manager. Where when they're winning games, um, you know he's very good. But um, when it's going the other way, he doesn't seem to be able to kind of uh, stop the, the 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 run of kind of losses as well. Um, and maybe that's just how he is a little bit personality-wise, I suppose. Uh, at times, you know, when his teams are doing well, um, I think he can maybe get a little bit carried away with himself and, you know, kind of start thinking he's um, probably the next kind of Jose Mourinho and stuff. And, and maybe then it has the opposite effect then when um, the team are, lo- are losing games, when you're maybe looking to your manager to show a kind of a calm ahead, um, a bit of know-how in that situation. Um, maybe he can you know, be a little bit that way as well, where he does a little bit of something out of the ordinary, uh, which um, players maybe are not used to or don't like. So um, it's it's a hard one to put your finger on it. Um, it's, it's just seen how his, how his career's gone um, so far with the clubs that he's been at. Gabs, um, are you surprised that he's still in the job now? Because if you consider the last few mm. weeks, not only the performance on the pitch, and they have been woeful, the results have been bad performances too. You've got the, the old cab... Gates thing with Barry, Evans, Myhill and Livermore and all that on the what was essentially a jolly up to Spain as opposed to a training camp. You've got uh, Gokwan Lai, the owner, getting rid of the chairman and the chief exec uh, and bringing his own people in. Uh, obviously very unhappy that Padre even got the job in the first place. The, po- the people who appointed him have now gone. After the Huddersfield game, I was chatting to Adam Bridge, who was doing the commentary for us, and he basically said, I'd be stunned if he was still there Sunday. And I am stunned. I am too. I am too. Um, and I can only think that, you know, if he doesn't get a result this weekend, that, then that is goodbye for him. Um, you know, if West Brom is serious about staying in the Premier League, um, I know you don't see many teams probably sack two managers in a season. And that is kind of a big decision. I mean, not long brought Alan Pardew into the club to then let him go. But um, I think needs must if you're serious about staying in, in this division and the run they've been on just simply hasn't been good enough. He's been brought into the club to turn fortunes around, um, have that kind of bounce effect, which you've seen other managers do this season uh, with other clubs. And it just hasn't happened with him. So I think needs must, the decision needs to be made. Um, and, and quickly, um, you know, they're running out of games. They don't have a lot of points to play with now. So I, I am a little bit surprised because, I think you know one win or whatever it is in fourteen. Um, saying he hasn't had a lot of time, you know, that is a lot of games. To be fair, uh, to, to get your team perform now you want to, and it, it hasn't been the case. So um, I think it's judgment day for him this weekend. To be fair, if he doesn't get a result, then I expect him to be gone. Uh, Watford have been in some serious trouble in, in recent weeks and months, but at home in the games under Javi Garcia, they have been very, very good. Um, the Chelsea performance was an historic win. Uh, and the performance against Everton, it was a drab game. No surprise in both those games. The inspirational figure, the man that scored the vital goals, the man that has given the finger to the concept of relegation, Troy Deeney is the man that has united this Watford camp. They were terrible against West Ham away, sure, but at home, in front of their fans, in big games, important games, they have delivered, and they've got that talismanic figure, haven't they? They have, yeah. Troy Deeney, he's back um, for whatever reason. Um, knew he'd gone off the boil a little bit, was in and out of the team, um, a little bit out of favour. But, you know, Harry Grazia has come in and you know, he's had a bit of a lifeline and, you know, he looks like he's enjoying his football again and he, you know, he's scoring goals. And 
yes, they have been terrible in in the odd game, but I think Watford needed to be a bit more terrible. If it, it sounds a bit silly saying that, but um, having watched them a few times this season, there was just no kind of in-between with them. They could be very, very good or or really bad, you know, scoring goals, but um, chucking leads away, you know, conceding plenty of goals. And there was just no kind of in-between with them. They didn't really have that um, grind out, you know, a result in them um, with an organised performance. But I think that's what the new manager kind of brings to them. Um, and Troy Deeney's kind of been at the, at the forefront of that, kind of leading the line, um, holding the ball up, bringing his, his, his teammates into play and, and, and getting a couple of goals off the back of that. So um, I just think with the new manager coming in there, you know, they're going to be, they're going to have a decent end to the season because they mm-hmm. just look a lot more organised, defensively a bit more solid. Um, and with the players they've kind of got going forward um, and, you know, their, their home form's not been too bad this season, which, you know, if you can keep that good, then you've got a very good chance of, of staying in the league. They're, you know, they're going yeah. to be fine and, and pushing towards a decent finish. Yeah, and uh, of course, lots of injuries in, in recent weeks and months. Players like Kiko Firmino has missed so much of this season. I think it was his first performance back against Everton, first appearance back. Uh, certainly yeah. been gone for, for a long time. delafeu has been great since he's come in. Liking the look of Decore and Capu in the centre as well uh, for Watford. Capu signing a new contract this week with the club. Um, and it just seems like they've got a whole bunch of players to keep falling out with their manager. Sack the manager. Everything's all right again. It's weird. Um, let's <laughs> it, move on to is, another yeah. quick club because we, we are pushed for time a little bit. Got to talk about Swansea West Ham. What a massive game this is. If Swansea win it, they go level on points with West Ham. Uh, and that's on 30 points. And it, they look, again, likely to survive. Having been bottom of the league when Carlos Carvalhal took over for West Ham. They win it. They move to 33. That's six clear of the relegation places with home games against Southampton and Burnley to come. Um, do West Ham go for a draw here? David Moyes' signature style. I think it's got draw written all over it, to be fair. I think you look at both sides, Tom, and um, quite similar with his style of play. You know, defensively kind of organised, difficult to beat. No, neither team really likes to um, go for the juggler, get on the front foot and attack team. So, you know, I kind of see this one being a, a really cagey game with probably the odd goal in it. Um, it. It's a massive game for both teams, as you said. You know, Swansea can draw level on points. Uh, Carval's come in and done a really good job, um, a couple of losses in, the, in his eight games. So he's had that bounce effect, you know, we were talking about with Alain Pardew, which he didn't have. Um, their home form's been decent since he's come into the club. You know, West Ham, I think it's one win in, in the last five. So, you know, looking at them in the league position, 13th, I think it is. Um, it looks like they're in a healthy position, but to only be kind of three points off the relegation zone just shows how, you know, tight it is in that bottom half. So, um, I think this will be a tight one, but I could see maybe West Ham nicking this one. I just think with Anarovic coming back from injury and back to form, Lanzini was back last week as well. Antonio's back and got a goal against Liverpool last weekend. I just look at the attacking threats on either team and I see more in West Ham. So I know, you know West Ham's away record, only a couple of wins this season. Not great, but I just think this will be down to the attacking individual players. And for me, West Ham have one or two more than, than Swansea City, and I, I can just see them uh, nicking this one, maybe a 1-0 or 2-1. There's going to be some rough old weather in, in Swansea this weekend. There is a chance this game may not go ahead with some of those forecasts, uh, and that may well do both these teams a bit of a favour to get players back, get them back into fitness, get them back into form, uh, and look ahead to, to future battles to come. And, of course, Swansea only played a couple of nights ago in the FA Cup. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if Javier Hernandez gets a game here because having scored three and four and been very impressive alongside an Outovic against Watford, a couple of weeks later against Liverpool, they dropped him to bring Lanzini back. I think that was probably a way of getting Lanzini fit again. Uh, I mean, I want to look at some of these players at West Ham. They should have a few more points than they've got. But the next three games, uh, being uh, the game against Swansea, but also the two I mentioned earlier on, Southampton and Burnley at home, we've got six home games left this season. They've got to be if they get three wins out of them, thirty nine is probably the line, right? This is a very, very important three games for West Ham. It is. It's, you know, it's a pivotal, pivotal point in the season for for a number of teams. Now, Swansea have got you know in a decent run of games as well, where um, they've manoeuvred themselves out of the relegation zone and, and could do further so with a couple more wins. And on West Ham, the same. Um, so you know, it's a really important uh, two or three games for them. Um, you know, whether he goes with. Hernandez at front. It would be nice to see in a way because you can understand it maybe against Liverpool. Mm. You know, you know you're going to spend a lot of time defending there. But you know, Swansea are a pretty very defensive team, so 
you, you could see even West Ham being the wayside, being able to get on the ball and, and control that game. You'd like to see them maybe a, a bit more positive going with Hernandez and Hernandez who, you know, started to form a, a really good relationship actually. So he, I'm sure he would have been disappointed and uh, not starting the game last weekend. But, you know, it is Schuhe or honing all those players into the team with Lanzini being back. Antonio gives you that kind of counter-attacking threat in the, in the wide positions. It is about David Moyes trying to get the, the attacking balance right because you know, we have seen um, earlier in his reign where he, he tried to go out and attack teams and was maybe a bit too attacking and, 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 and didn't get the results. So I think he's maybe learned from that. And Unfortunately, I think you'll probably see Hernandez um, sitting on the bench again for this one. But, uh, of course, you know a very good option to come off the bench and, and turn the game uh, if needs be as well. And if there's one thing we can guarantee this weekend, it's that Andre Ayew is going to score for Swansea. I, I don't know what the result's <laughs> going to be, but he's been bombed out of West Ham and generally disliked for being awful. This has got Andre Ayew goal written all over it, hasn't it? Yeah, he does tend to nick a goal. Um, he nicked one for West Ham against Swansea, I think, last <laughs> year in this game. I think he did, actually, yeah. Um, and he was on after half an hour last week and against Brighton. Um, get Nathan Dye getting dragged off. So you have to think that he will possibly, you know, start this one being such a big game as well. Um, you know, he's kind of been buying his time since he made that move to um, work his way into the team. So I'm sure he'll be up for that one. Um, and it would be uh, uncanny, really. Yeah, <laughs> he'd probably pop up with, with a goal. That's the way things tend to work with football. But um, let's just hope it's not the winner. Give us a couple of scores, then, mate. Uh, Swansea, West Ham. What do you think? I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to say 1-0 to West Ham. 1-0 West Ham. And Watford, West Brom? I can only see more misery for Alan Pardew. I'm going to have to go with Watford to win that one. I'm going to say 2-1. Yeah, I tend to agree with both of those results. And how could I disagree with Danny Gabadon, knowing that he's sitting by the fire, he's about to put on some smooth jazz and really enjoy being inside the house with the rest of us all grafting away. Some people. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry. Gabs, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, mate. We'll speak to you again soon. Danny Gavin on the preview show with us. Loads more to get through on the show. Stay with us. Just 10 weeks to go in the Premier League season and so much still to be decided. Up the top, who is going to qualify for those Champions League positions? And it's anyone's guess who's going to join West Brom in the Championship next year. That's right. I've said it, and I'm all right with it. Uh, let's talk about Liverpool-Newcastle. David Walker alongside me, Tom Rennie, uh, for the Premier League preview show. It is a game that tugs at the old heartstrings. You know, it's one of those games that from 96, 97, 98, you know, about the same sort of time when we were kind of really getting into football, yeah. the right sort of age. I love this game. Yeah. I love seeing these two well, kids playing it's at these two, two grounds. There's been two good ones, right? And the rest of them, who knows? No yeah. one ever looks. He just, oh, it was a, there's two four threes. Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. And I don't feel bad about that. I always remember those games. And I always loved Newcastle ever since those days. Um, but let's talk about Liverpool right now. Uh, last week against West Ham, it was a, it was a brilliant performance, right? Yeah. First half was actually very, very even. Uh, they got the lead. When all else fails, they then started crossing the ball and then Ray Chan scored. They changed it all up. How many times do we say about teams? They've only tried one way to score. They tried another way. They scored. Second half, they blitzed West Ham. And we could talk whatever about West Ham switching off and thinking about next week and David Moising it, all that sort of stuff. But Liverpool found a way to win, then found a second gear. They found a third gear. Were fantastic. Um, And for me... I don't think they're going to be involved in this battle for fourth. That's got Spurs v Chelsea written all over it. Yeah. I don't see who touches Liverpool from now until the end, including this weekend. Well, how, how things have changed in quite a relatively short space of time. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were saying quite, quite the opposite. You were still banging on about Liverpool's defensive frailties every week. Yeah. And they do seem to have got better. Well... I think they'll score five in every game. I th- that that's still the, yeah, that's look, still the, the the unique selling point of this team. Yeah, the record isn't too bad if you look at it at home. And and we were sitting here last week saying that oh this is going to be a classic Liverpool. They seem to have eliminated that that mm. that thing they had last season where they did drop a lot of points in games at Anfield and away from home where you, you'd think oh they should beat this team. They did really well against the top six teams, not so well against the bottom six and teams in the bottom half of the table. But they swept away West Ham last week. They're able to do that. They've got all those attacking options. Coutinho, who's talking about Coutinho? Mm. It hasn't been a problem. But when you've leaving. got someone in the form of Mohamed Salah, and mm. he has been in form all season long, um, you can 
have deficiencies elsewhere. And Spurs have shown us that in recent years because they've got someone scoring goals. If you've got someone who's always able to find the back of the net, always able to break the deadlock, always able to be an inspiration to that team, it doesn't matter about those issues defensively. They're going to get unstuck in the Champions League, Liverpool, I have no doubt because of that. But going forward, they're better than anyone. And I mean Man City as well. I think they're better than anyone going forward. Well, look, they beat Man City, so they've got a good claim to, to say that. But... Salah has got an opportunity to become the most productive Liverpool player in the Premier League season ever. He's got 31 goals or, or assists so far. 23 goals, 8 assists in uh, in these games in the Premier League so far this season. The only two above him, Luis Suarez, mm. who got 43 combined assists and goals in 2013-14. And Robbie Fowler, 33 in 95-96. So he's got to get another 12 either goals and or assists mm. in... How many games? What, 11 games? Uh, Liverpool are currently played 28, which means there's going to be 10 games left. 10 games. I think on his, on his current record, that's eminently achievable. I think it will be. And I think he'll score this weekend. Though Newcastle, they've got an obvious game plan, which has become very clear, I think, in the last maybe five to six weeks. And that is drawing matches. Defence is the better part of valour for Rafa Benitez. That's always kind of well, been his way. I think they way. planned to draw last week when they were 2-0 up, did they? They went very, very defensive when they scored that second goal. And that's a problem against Bournemouth because Bournemouth will come at you. They will throw eight players forward. Yeah. If you keep attacking Bournemouth, you'll probably beat them. Did you see Frank Lampard talking about John Joe Shelby? Tell me about it, no. So, well, it was it was... Basically, squarely, Shelby's fault, really, if you looked at the two clips for the, for the goals. Mm. We know how good he can be on the ball, but defensively, he just wasn't there. Mm. He was switching off. Lewis Cook got a run on him for the first goal, which Smith scored eventually. But and what a goal that is. Yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous finish. Know, but it, In three or four moves did, later, yeah, someone smacks around the top corner. And that is what matters. That's what makes the difference. You, you, you say, oh, you can't legislate for a great finish. But you can stop him from being in that position. Mm. to do the finish at throw-ins little breakdowns in play where are you on the pitch that those are the details that coaches work on the training pitch and when when it doesn't happen and it's it's not something you're not asking a player to exhibit a great skill you're just asking them to run five yards stand next to your man and make sure he doesn't get the ball Shelby switched off twice for that for the equalizing goal from Gosling Shelby has run in the box and then he's run out the box when the ball's come back out and instead of going following it again back in He's standing 30 yards out with his hands on his knees looking at everyone. Mm. And the rest of his teammates are in there defending for their lives and the, and the goal goes in. And, you know, that isn't good enough. And that's what costs you points at the end of the day. And if Newcastle were to be relegated this season by a couple of points, you'd look at instances like that and think, come on. And the team that go down are going to go by a couple of points. It is going to be as close as that. There's not going to be another whole city collapse like there was for third bottom last year. Uh, but I'd fancy uh, Liverpool this weekend. I think everyone probably would fancy Liverpool in a home yeah. game against anyone. Another return as well, we should say, for, for Rafa Benitez at Anfield. But it's already been done, so let's not go mad about it. All right. Uh, elsewhere, Burnley-Everton. That's the 12.30 game this cool. coming Saturday, the first one of the weekend. Um, I can't imagine a less attractive fixture in English football. No. And... The, the records of the two teams really are, are quite amazing. So um, Burnley are winless in their last 11 Premier League games, which is the longest current run in the division. Yet they still stayed seventh the whole, the, pretty much the whole time throughout that run. It's, that is, is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Like they were so far ahead of everyone from the early weeks of the season that still, still they're in the top half. I mean, you can't Not go just the top half, like the best team outside the top you six. Can't go on, you <laughs> can't, in a, in a big league, in a major league, surely go on a run like I mean, this the, and, and the, expect that to happen. Yeah, the gap's closing. The gap's closing. The teams behind them are catching up fast. And if they don't get points this weekend, you know they might slip again. But I'd fancy Leicester to finish above them and maybe a couple of others as well. well. If Watford keep winning at home... Yeah, not Watford, sure, but something else maybe. But Everton have won the fewest percentage of their Premier League points this season away from home. Just 24% of their points have come away. Mm. While Burnley have won the lowest percentage in home games, which is 51% of their points. Um, did someone say goal or straw at the back? Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably right. But Everton's away record is shocking. They've picked up just one win from their last 22 Premier League away games. Drawn mm. nine, lost 12, losing the last four in a row. <sighs> You know, that was a terrible game last week mm. at Vicarage Road. Watford were, were marginally the better of two pretty poor sides on the day. Mm. I think they did deserve it in the end. But you know, Everton away is just not happening at the moment. And people are not happy with Big Sam. I, I just He's going to keep see... them up, I think. But they're just yeah. not happy. They're, they're, they've got 34 points now. There may be one win and a draw away from being safe. Look, I don't see any scenario where Allardyce is Everton manager next year. 
Uh, Mashiri's looking at it. He said about his two-year anniversary of being in charge this week. He spent enough money to expected entertainment at least. Not European football or great success, but at the very least entertainment. Yeah, but don't that get... hasn't come. Sam Allardyce doesn't really give you that, does he? No, I mean, let's not talk about who's going to be the next manager because he is still there, but I'd be surprised if he stayed. Uh, let's talk about Tottenham yeah. uh, up against Huddersfield Town. Uh, I was interested this week listening to Roman Calderon, the former Real Madrid president, yeah. saying that Harry Kane will be Real Madrid's target number one, number two, and number three this summer. Where does Poch fit into that? What a very good question. Does he fit into that? I think, I think so. And is that when something... Losing es- when you're losing games against Espanyol in the week. Mm, yeah. I mean, obviously, so they've still got the, the, season, still got the Champions Real. League. That's all about the Champions League for them, isn't it? Yeah. If they can win it again. But, but on Spurs, I mean, Huddersfield Town, great win last week against West Brom. They won't fancy this one. They won't have focused on this one. They'll try and hold on for as long as they possibly can. Kane, of course, rested fully uh, against Rochdale in the week. You expect him to come back and play and score. Uh, as he just always, always does. But is that unsettling to the camp? I think it probably would be, wouldn't it? If this is now becoming more of a realistic possibility, it could happen. They've got to finish in the top four. They've got to win the FA Cup. Yeah. Otherwise, it's over, right? It's po- it's certainly possible. And I think it's, it's, it's fairly well known that Poch, there aren't, there aren't many clubs that he would want to leave Spurs for. Mm. But Real Madrid, I think, is one of them. He wouldn't go to Barcelona. He's an Espanyol man. Mm. Uh, but if Real Madrid came in for him, I think that would be real, real big question for him. It doesn't doesn't happen often. Harry Kane would be interesting as well. You know that he loves Tottenham. You know that he wants to win stuff there. But he'd have a huge decision to make. Mm. Because they are playing very well. They've played very well for the last few seasons. They've been right there. But they've just fallen short mm. at the final hurdle on more than one occasion. They've got a good chance of winning the FA Cup this season, you'd, you'd like to yeah, think. Yeah, Swansea's a very, very good draw yeah. for them. And then then there's two home games, effectively. If they are semi-final, if mm. they progress, they're mm. in the final. They're used to Wembley. Obviously, there are still some big teams in it, but maybe that would just sort of keep them ticking over. He's won a trophy. I mean, the great thing about the FA Cup this year from this point, I know I've bagged on it a lot this season. However, City are out of it. If you're Spurs, there's no one in there to be afraid of now. No. No one at all. And they've got a very favourable draw. And as you say, home game is coming left. An FA Cup win and second in the table, which is a possibility, yep. uh, is great success. And, and they've, they've got to just keep winning. They've got to keep winning these games against Huddersfield at home. They've got to keep doing as much as they can in the league, finish as high as they can. Same in the Champions League. You know, they've got, a, they've got a, a reasonable chance of getting through if they, if they play well against Juventus in, in the week. Mm. And they do what they can. Another good season. But then the question will be asked again in the summer, what does Tottenham do to make that next step. It's a small step, but it's an important step. What yeah. do they need? And, and Huddersfield, I think they'll be looking to get through this game, not getting players injured, because two home games which are going to define their season up next. That's Swansea at home, followed by Crystal Palace at home. That's where it lies. Two mm. wins there, 36 points, a couple more games to get four points max. That is totally doable. Uh, I think they'll probably give this one up. Um, not on purpose, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Leicester against Bournemouth. I think Leicester, another good shout for the FA Cup as well. Chelsea's a tough game for them, but they're maybe the only team we mentioned last week with nothing to play for in the Premier League. Bournemouth, a great attacking side, poor defensively. I'm going to go for a high-scoring Leicester win here. Yeah, but if Jamie Vardy scores, they'll probably lose because that, keep, that keeps happening. Is that right? He'd scored four in a row before last week. Did they lose all those games? Jamie Vardy's ended up on the losing side in six Premier League games in which he scored this season. Mm. Twice as many as any other player in the competition. How odd is that? How odd is that? Um, I mean, I love Jamie Vardy and I'd fancy him to score this weekend. Bournemouth, as we mentioned earlier on, you know, they're great going forward. Got some great talents going forward. It almost does them a favour to concede a goal because then that game plan, which they cannot, implement is done yeah a couple of goals down well just go for we it. ain't doing that now because how many times this year i'm thinking specifically of newcastle and west ham but there's other times they've done it as well when as soon as the game is up for them they go right let's go and they do score repeatedly i think that could be a great game across the three o'clocks on saturday a uh, one game you've not mentioned monday night football crystal palace against manchester united um, you don't know what palace will turn up you don't know what united will turn up they nearly got a point didn't they against spurs last sunday not that it would have been a deserved one. No, they were, I mean, they were back to the wall the whole yeah. game. The second half, the last 20 minutes was actually embarrassing. It was like La Liga level sort of stuff, you know? Big team against little team holding on for dear life. There was no attacking endeavour from Crystal Palace at all. And, and we spoke about it. Tough for them to, to show any when they're, when they're best attacking players and, and not there. Without, without Zahar carrying that ball up the field, 
there's basically no one else who can do it, is able to do it. Benteke, you know, Horlath is playing instead of him. That's what's happening with Christian Benteke right now. Uh, and I'm, I think that'll probably be the case again this weekend. Yeah, but a good win for Manchester United, though, against Chelsea. We weren't sure how that one was going to go. And they answered their critics because there was a bit of a, you know, the storm clouds were gathering over Old Trafford before that game last weekend with the whole Pogba stuff and a few more uninspiring performances in recent games before that. But they did it. It's a big win. And they'll be confident ahead of this game as well. Yeah, but as they showed us against Newcastle a couple of weeks ago, it's probably not a safe bet to be thinking uh, about what they can do in these sorts of games. Uh, I knew I got that name wrong. I meant to say Sorloth. I did that before as well. I think that's a brand of tea. Sorloth. Paul, the striker of a palace uh, who I was trying to get the name of is Alexander Sorloth. But I feel like it's a brand of tea I've had once. Anyway, I'm not going to drink him. Uh, let's move on. That's the end. Thanks a lot, Dave. See you next week, mate. Um, that's the Premier League preview show. Enjoy the football. We'll see you next time around. All right. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.